football icon Pele has been laid to rest in Santos, the city where he spent most of his life. In a private ceremony attended by family members, Pele's coffin was placed in his tomb at the ecumenical necropolis overlooking the city. The BBC's Katie Watson is in Santos. Yesterday, during the wake, it was a moment of reflection. Today has been um, a day of carnivalesque proportions. People have been on the streets dancing samba, chanting for Pelé, uh, waving flags with their number 10 shirt that he made so famous. I mean, there's, a, uh, there's been a, a real sense of celebration and of remembering the, the most famous name here in Brazil. You know, you speak to people here about Pelé and everyone feels united about their, their love for him. The Danish financial institutions say that last year was the first ever with no recorded bank robberies. Hold-ups have been falling steadily for the past 20 years. The BBC's Danny Eberhardt has the details. In the year 2000, there were over 200 bank robberies in Denmark, nearly one per business day. That's been dropping steadily, falling below 10 annually in recent years. And now zero. A finance workers' union hailed this as nothing short of amazing. The reasons are many, better alarms and camera surveillance, fewer bank branches, but also moves towards a cashless society, partly linked to the pandemic. Denmark's central bank says cash was used for just 12% of payments in 2021. So bank branches have less to loot. And finally, the Supreme Court in Iran has upheld two death sentences and ordered retrials for three others in connection with the killings of a member of the Basij paramilitary during anti-government protests. The death sentences against three of those accused were overturned, the court said, because of defects in the process. Prosecutors say the Basij members were stripped naked and killed during protests two months ago. Iran has so far executed two people in connection with the protests. And that's all the news from RTHK. Thanks, Barry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, Radio 3. Money Talk. Well, good morning. It's Wednesday the 4th of January and this is James Ross in for the rest of the week on Money Talk. In the headlines, China's finance minister Liu Kun has reiterated plans to expand spending to aid economic recovery while pledging to prevent systemic risks. In a Xinhua interview, Mr. Liu says China's recovery is still not solid, citing risks including a contraction in demand and disruptions to supply. He also says the government will use proceeds from special government bonds to boost investment in more areas and increase transfer payments to less developed areas. The world's largest iPhone factory, Foxconn's iPhone City, on the mainland appears to have lifted production almost back to normal. That according to the Henan Daily, which cited Foxconn executive Vic Wang as saying that production had reached about 90% of capacity as of December 30th. Mr. Wang said orders are good and production will reach its peak in the coming months. China's factory activity shrank at a sharper pace in December as surging coronavirus infections disrupted production and weighed on demand after Beijing removed COVID restrictions. The Kaixin Market Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index fell to 49 in December from 49.4 in November. The index has stayed below the 50 points that separates growth from contraction for five straight months. 
The SCMP reporting that China Evergrande founder Hui Kain has pledged to repay creditors and deliver projects this year in a letter to employees. It comes after the developer once again missed a year-end deadline on releasing its restructuring plan. In his message, Mr. Hui said 2023 is a crucial year for Evergrande Group to fulfill its duty as an enterprise and deliver projects in every possible way. New Chinese Foreign Minister Qin Gang says he was deeply impressed by the American people and pledged to continue to push forward the relationship between the two countries in his new role. Mr. Qin has served as China's ambassador to the U.S. for the past 17 months and said he has, quote, made many friends across the U.S. during his tenure in Washington. Going forward, I will continue to care about and support the growth of China-U.S. relations, encourage dialogue, mutual understanding and affinity between the two peoples, work for mutual respect. A U.S. economic recession is on the cards because of what the Fed must do to cool inflation, says former New York Fed President William Dudley. But it probably won't be a severe slowdown. Speaking in a Bloomberg interview, he said, quote, a recession is pretty likely just because of what the Fed has to do. But what's different this time, I think, is that we, if we have a recession, it's going to be a Fed-induced recession. And the Fed can end the recession by subsequently easing monetary policy. And CNBC reporting that Elon Musk's SpaceX is raising $750 million in new fundraising, which values the company at $137 billion. Uh, citing correspondence it's obtained, CNBC says VC firm Andreessen Horowitz will likely lead the new funding round. They had previously invested in SpaceX alongside Founders Fund, Sequoia and Giga Fund. Well, we'll be joined on the show today by Christopher Lee, a senior partner at uh, Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments, and RTHK's international economic correspondent. Barry Wood. And later on, we'll talk property with Nicholas Brooke, chairman at Professional Property Services Group. Don't forget, any questions for our guests, email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk. Text us on 63935925. Our Facebook is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter, we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, let's take a quick look at the market, starting on Wall Street, where U.S. stocks gave up an early gain and ended lower. Uh, rather lackluster on the first trading day of 2023, and just days after the market closed the books on its worst year since 2008. The S&P 500 uh, down 0.4% at 3,824. The Dow Jones down a fraction at 33,136. The Nasdaq down 0.8% at 10,386. Tech stocks amongst the biggest drag on the market, Apple down 3.7%, leaving its market value below $2 trillion for the first time since March the 8th of 2021. Uh, meanwhile, the Fed releases minutes from its December policy meeting later today, potentially giving investors more insight into its decision-making and thoughts for 2023. The next interest rates announcement set for February the 1st. European stock markets ended in positive territory. The pan-European stock 600 closed up 1.2% at 434.18, with almost all sectors rising except oil and gas, which was down 0.7%. The FTSE 100 closed up 1.4% at 7,554. The DAX adding 0.8% at 14,181. And France's CAC 40 up 0.4% at 6,623. Uh, Germany publishing lower than expected inflation figures for December down to 9.6% year-on-year. 
Hong Kong stocks started the year with a healthy gain yesterday, boosted by a rally in Macau casinos ahead of the expected reopening of the border with the mainland. While tech firms were also well up, the Hang Seng up 1.8 percent at 20,145. The Shanghai Composite adding 0.9 percent to 3,116. The Shenzhen Composite up 1.4 percent to 2,004. Japan's Nikkei 225 resuming trading this morning after the New Year break. Last Friday, last Friday it. Closed uh, up eight tenths of one percent at twenty six thousand and ninety four. In the commodities market, Brent crude currently trading down four point one percent at eighty two dollars thirty four a barrel. Russia's crude shipment slid to the lowest for twenty twenty two in the final four weeks of the year as sanctions crimped Moscow's exports.、Uh, cargoes bound for China, India, and Turkey, which have become a lifeline for Russian supplies displaced from Europe, saw a third straight drop. Elsewhere in commodities, copper down 1.1 percent at $376.65 a pound. Spot gold currently standing at $1,839.48 an ounce. In the bond market, the U.S. 10-year bond currently showing a yield of 3.74 percent. In currencies, the euro buying a dollar and five cents.、Uh, the yen yesterday advancing to a six-month high versus the dollar as Japan's decision to raise its bond yield cap last month stoked bets that it may tighten policy even more.、Uh, the yen appreciated as much as 0.8 percent to 129.79 a dollar, surpassing the level of 130.41 set back in August and reaching the strongest since June. Currently, the dollar standing at 131 and two cents.、Uh, sorry, 100. 31 and two Japanese yen.、Uh, the pound buying 9.35 Hong Kong dollars. The yuan standing at 6.91 against the U.S. dollar. And Bitcoin currently at 16,655.、Uh, the ASX 200 uh, currently uh, up one percent at 7,017. And Hang Seng futures looking to an open of up about half a percent. <laughs> Okay, let's bring in our guests and say very good morning, good evening to、uh, Barry Wood, RTHK's、uh, international economics correspondent in Washington. Good evening, Barry. Good morning to you, James.、Uh, nice to have you on, as ever, on a Wednesday. And also, let's say hi to Christopher Lee, senior partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments.、Uh, good morning, Christopher. Good morning, James. Hello. Uh, nice to have you on once more, Barry. Let's start just briefly with that news story,、uh, the political news story that、um, Kevin McCarthy has not managed to、uh, go, come through as、uh, leader of the House after three votes.、Uh, that's quite something. <laughs>、uh, the first time this has happened, I understand, in eighty years. Yes, it's、uh, you know we hear so much about Britain. Being a kind of circus over these last six months with all the prime ministers and the problems, well, welcome to Washington because the Republican Party has、uh, descended into chaos, disarray. Kevin McCarthy, who has been a loyal Republican for a long time, is、uh, now on his back foot. Three votes in which he could not win the majority, and of course, remember the Republicans have only got. About a five-seat majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, so he needed all the Republican votes to win, and he didn't get them. And as a second and third vote took place, he lost even more. So I think the question is, when they resume on Wednesday, 
will he drop out or will he have rallied? Because he gave a lot to the conservative Republicans. They're the ones who don't think that he's the right guy. They say that he's really just a bureaucratic man who supports the swamp. Now, interestingly, James, in the case of Donald Trump, who is such a big factor in Republican politics, after January 6th, Kevin McCarthy said that Donald Trump was to blame and that he needed to apologize for not calling off his men who had invaded the Capitol. He then reconciled with Donald Trump, even though Trump had denounced him. And now Trump, for the last three or four months, as this run-up to the election has progressed, has endorsed Kevin McCarthy. Didn't make any difference. <laughs> well, we will watch that with uh, interest. Um, obviously, uh, President Biden, just before the end of the year, uh, signed into law the $1.7 trillion, uh, boost package. You know, going forward, this chaos in the House, um, you know, how's that going to affect, uh, you know, the, the governmental wheels and uh, getting on with getting the finances into some kind of good order? I think that's going to be OK, James. Don't forget that the Republican majority in the House, one of the two chambers, their job, according to Republican analysts, is simply to say no, no more spending. So, And don't forget that the package that was passed just before Christmas that keeps the government open until the end of the fiscal year, that's October 1, that has been approved. So we're not going to have a financial problem in those intervening months, and we're not going to have any new spending. Chris, we're heading towards uh, February the 1st and uh, the next yep. uh, policy announcement for, um, uh, um, from the Fed for interest rates. What do you think uh, we're going to see? Well, I mean, various in Washington, D.C., so he's definitely more in tune. But I think the good news, as uh, we heard from him last time, was that the trend is actually going in the right direction, right? So the, uh, the CPI figure in November was about 7%. And it was much lower than the uh, 9.1% back in June. So I think the street is expecting that uh, when the Fed um, come and meet at the end of this month, January 31st, they will probably only move about 50 basis points. And uh, so if things keep going in the right direction, they may not even move uh, 50 basis points come March uh, 2023. So all things are actually going in the right direction. So I am uh, quite optimistic, I think, uh, looking into uh, the first quarter of uh, 2023 in the U.S. Barry, is that a, is, is that a feeling that um, is reflected, would you say, on, on the streets? Uh, in well, thank you, Chris, the for, the, for the compliment. And I, I, uh, I do agree with what you just said about uh, the trend. I think that um, you're going to get 50 basis points and probably the Fed is causing mm -hmm. a recession. The real problem, isn't it true, Chris, is the equity market. I mean, we're down again as we start 2023. We've had a 15 to 30 percent drop in the U.S. markets in 2022. So the market is telling us bad days ahead. The market is uh, actually reflected in the public market as well as uh, potentially in the private market as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, some of the uh, venture capital funding, we saw some down ranks that happened in the last uh, um, months or so. But fortunately, I think, uh, I think, James, you mentioned the SpaceX uh, valuation, mm -hmm. and uh, they're able to keep at about $137 billion valuation, and which was a little bit higher than what they raised 
at the last round in May 2022 at about $120 billion. So that part is actually still positive. But I, I do think that uh, there are some risks out there in the equities market. So we have to fasten our seatbelts. We are seeing the tech stocks uh, uh, down uh, in the market today. Um, uh, Apple down 3.7% and um, crucially bringing its uh, market value below uh, $2 trillion for the first time. So, uh, Barry, you know, that uh, what your sentiment reflected uh, in today's markets, I think. <laughs> well, James, I'll tell you, uh, this problem at uh, Zhengzhou, where the uh, you know iPhone city, mm. they have 300,000 employees there. And if they're now saying that they can get production back up, probably that is going to cause a boost to this depressed Apple price. The real news there is, I think, Tesla. I mean, Tesla is down 70% from its peak and was down 12% on Tuesday here in the States. That's all because of uh, Elon Musk. They, they perceive, investors perceive, that Musk has spent all his time at Twitter, has neglected Tesla, and of course Tesla didn't make his delivery target for the last three months of 2022. So those two tech stars are real disasters. Do we think that, um, you know, Elon's going to rescue that situation? Is Tesla going to come back, do you think? You know, it's very interesting. My own guess is yes. Uh, don't forget, I, I keep saying don't forget, a lot of listeners would not be aware, I wasn't aware, that a man named Tom Zhu was running the Shanghai facility, you know, which is the only wholly owned foreign subsidiary within China. It's owned by Tesla completely. Oh. If, if they're going to come back into full production, Tom Zhu is now taking over Austin, Texas. He's taking over Fremont. He's in charge of production. He's Chinese-American. He has his MBA from Duke University. He's a turnaround specialist. So I don't think that there's reason to be long-term pessimistic about Tesla. Chris, do you have a, a view on that? I love electric cars. I think uh, definitely I am bullish on Tesla. The, uh, the only caution I would make there is uh, they also face a lot of competition. But uh, at the moment, I think uh, all roads are pointing to a, a pretty nice recovery, both domestically in China and also internationally, because of the, uh, the focus on uh, a lot of uh, domestic consumptions uh, locally in China. So they are definitely on the road to uh, recovery. And I see that uh, the government is embarking on this um, policy of uh, pragmatism, which is all very positive. Uh, just as we wrap up, um, U.S.-China relations uh, maybe in focus a little bit. Um, new Chinese Foreign Minister uh, Qin Gang saying he was, uh, quote, deeply impressed by the American people while he was uh, the ambassador. Uh, do we think, Barry, that, um, you know, his tenure in that job for the last uh, 17 months, uh, you know, could help improve relations between the two countries? Well, I think it's got to. Uh, relations got so bad. And the fact that uh, a Chinese ambassador to the United States was named to the foreign ministry post is, I think, quite uh, significant. He did not, I should say, leave a deep impression in the States one way or another because it was just too short a term and his name is not mm. known to most Americans. I'll defer to Chris on this. Chris. Well, yes, um, I, think, I think, Barry, you, you have, um, I think, a lot of observation there. The positive, I think, is that uh, during uh, Mr. Chin's uh, last, public uh, major appearance, which was in Chicago at the uh, CGCC, the China General Chamber of Commerce meeting on the 8th of uh, December. He was very positive, and uh, I think during the 500 days that he was in the U.S., 
He mentioned that he had visited 22 states, which is more than most Americans have visited in their whole lives, right? And he participated <laughs> yes. in, in many think tanks, and uh, he visited many schools and uh, factories and farms. I know his name is hard to pronounce. Uh, Q-I-N is a difficult word for Americans to pronounce. But, I mean, this is, I think, um, also the 51st anniversary of uh, President Nixon's visit to China uh, back in 1972. So this is, again, the ping-pong diplomacy, right? So if I make a move, you make a move, and you make a move, and then uh, I react. And so far, it's been pretty <laughs> positive. So one positive Bravo. move will lead to another positive move. Well, fingers crossed for uh, trade relations to improve between the U.S. and China. Thank you very much to uh, Barry Wood, our uh, international economic correspondent, who is in Washington, and also uh, to uh, Christopher Lee, a senior partner at Farron, Augustine and Alexander. Okay, let's turn to the property market now and uh, happy to bring into the conversation uh, Nicholas Brook, Chairman at Professional Property Services Group. Good morning, Chris. Uh, good morning, Nicholas. How are you? I'm fine, James. Compliments of the season. Absolutely, and to you as well. I mean, it's a little bit of a worrying time, though, for the property market, isn't it, going into 2023 with the, the, the worries about interest rates uh, and, you know, the COVID uh, restrictions that have uh, affected things so much in the last uh, couple of years or so. Residential property market seems to be down. What's your, what's your analysis going into 2023 of how things stand? Well, I, I think the market has proved... Uh, remarkably resilient, if you like. Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, interest rates are a concern. Um, the macro-political economic environment is of concern. Uh, recession potentially in Europe, etc. Um, and obviously the, the need to re resolve the border access situation. Um, despite all this, I mean, we're only talking about, in the residential market, a decline of 14% over 18 months. Now, within that, you need to be careful because, as you know, there are two sectors within the residential um, uh, community. One is uh, um, primary sales, which are the developer sales, mm. which um, are largely propped up, if you like, by the developers if they see prices slipping. But the secondary market um, uh, has, has also um, held up reasonably well. Um, uh, there's more to come, I think. Um, volumes are down both in the primary and the secondary sector. Um, and so far as uh, our view on life is concerned, if you like, we see further slippage for the first half of this year, um, probably potentially another 5% across the market as a whole, but more adjustments certainly in the secondary sector where people are now under pressure to sell and have to sell. Hmm. Um, uh, but then in the second half of the year, um, some equilibrium being reached and then edging up the curve from there on. Uh, you know, we're anticipating potentially the border reopening uh, possibly as early as uh, Sunday. Um, do you think uh, that happening will have a positive effect in the short term on, property mar on the property market? I think it will because the market is uh, strongly influenced by sentiment um, and uh, <clears throat> sentiment obviously has been uh, under some pressure. But uh, with um, the prospect of resolution of travel, if you like, I, I think the mood will change. Um, it's going to take a few months, I think, for things to settle down in terms of uh, mechanics and logistics, in terms of travel. But as that as that happens, um, I can see some more confidence coming back into the market. And then we'll, we'll obviously begin to see Chinese buyers coming back into, into play as well. Does, it, does 
Chinese or mainland Chinese money that's coming across the border, does that generally flow into new developments or, or does that also uh, affect the second-hand market? It's primarily a new development. They like to buy new, um, something new, and uh, often hold it for investment, don't necessarily let it or occupy it. Um, but um, when they can't buy in the, in the primary market, obviously they, they then tend to look to the secondary market. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the uh, the commercial market? I know you're very involved in the commercial market. You know, office space has uh, uh, seen some changes over the last few years. Um, what, what's the what's the outlook there? Well, I think it's a period of transition. Um, you've got where people can a flight to quality in terms of the the quality of the building, if you like, in which they occupy. Um, uh, tenants and occupiers are becoming increasingly concerned about health and welfare, and therefore. Those landlords that are responding in terms of uh, the environment they create for their tenants are attracting um, uh, tenants from, if you like, more traditional um, uh, buildings. Um, So we're seeing a flight to quality. We're seeing a flight to um, uh, green and uh, sustainable um, badging, if you like. Premises have to be, if you like, badged today to be uh, attractive. Um, There's a lot of supply, though, um, coming on the market in Central, Mm. We've got the Henderson, we've got uh, Chungkong 2, we've got uh, Site 3, we've got uh, uh, the new um, high-speed office uh, development uh, in in, uh, Kowloon as well. So there's a lot of new supply coming on stream. Um, And I I think inevitably rents are going to be under pressure. Good news from a a tenant's perspective. But um, I I think landlords are going to have to be pretty competitive over the next... um, uh, six to 12 months. I think the other thing is there's a lot of grey space which has been, um, uh, if you like, locked into leases. People have had too much space and wanted to um, mm. release it. But now as their leases fall in, they'll be able to do so. So that space will also come onto the market. And briefly, what about the uh, hospitality world? Um, restaurants, hotels, uh, you know, there's been a lot of openings and closings um, of, of, in both sectors in the last couple of years. How, how are things settling at the moment? Well, there's an interesting transition taking place in the hospitality or the hotel sector. Um, a number of uh, uh, grade A, uh, sorry, grade B or grade C um, uh, hotels with smaller rooms and uh, le- less facilities, if you like, are seriously looking at conversion to residential, you know, with the pressure of, uh, on residential and the need for more supply. Government is encouraging conversion. Um, and we already seen uh, Chung Kong and others um, apply and get permission to convert some of their hotel buildings to residential use. And I think we'll see this, um, we'll see a, a refinement and uh, uh, some separation, if you like, of the uh, of quality from the, the less desirable premises. Watch this space for what's happening in the property market. Nicholas Brook is chairman at uh, Professional Property Services Group. Thank you to Nicholas. Also, thank you very much to uh, Christopher Lee, senior partner at Farron Augustine and uh, Alexander Investments, and RTHK's international economic correspondent, uh, Barry Wood. Let's just take a quick look at the markets at the moment. Uh, the S&P ASX 200 in Sydney is currently at 1.25% at 7,033. The Nikkei 225 just opened down 1.5% already. Already at 25,684, uh, just updated to 25,735. Uh, Hang Seng Futures uh, looking to an open of around half a percent higher.
Uh, let's look at the weather. Mainly cloudy, cool this morning. Sunny intervals this afternoon. The maximum temperatures around 19 degrees. Moderate northerly winds becoming east to northeasterly, strengthening gradually. The outlook sunny periods in the next couple of days. Mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches early next week. Currently at 16 Celsius, 74% relative humidity. This is James Ross. I'll see you tomorrow morning uh, for Money Talk once more at 8 o'clock. Back chat is next after the news. And here are the headlines with Barry. A pharmacist denies there's a crisis in the supply of drugs to ease COVID symptoms and has called for better education so people won't stockpile medication. Iris Chang, the president of the Practicing Pharmacists Association, says people need to realise that popular brands, such as paracetamol, aren't the only solution. She urged people not to panic if a product wasn't on the shelf. We're trying to explain to the consumer to be smart during the pandemic. The best kind of uh, medicines uh, to use to treat the symptoms of COVID is not over the counter, it's actually behind the counter. And so uh, definitely we're educating the public that paracetamol with a particular brand is not going to be the only solution to help them with their symptoms. And to have a false security to believe that they have been able to purchase the big brands in their hands will actually help them during the course of the COVID infection is actually not really sufficient. The opening session of the U.S. House of Representatives has revealed divisions among Republicans. Kevin McCarthy has led Republicans in the chamber for the past four years and was expected to become Speaker now the party has a majority following the midterm elections. But Mr McCarthy failed in two initial ballots to secure enough votes. The BBC's Will Grant explains why some Republicans are rejecting him. The majority of them form something called the Freedom Caucus. They are very much aligned with President Trump, his vision of what these buildings behind me, the Senate and the House, mean, i.e. that they are riddled with established interests and lobbyists and that he wanted to drain the swamp, you remember that rhetoric. So this is really their criticism of Mr McCarthy in that regard, that they believe he's too much part of the establishment and too beholden to lobbyists' interests. What that means in terms of who they would settle on is simply kind of too many machinations away at this stage to know. The founder of the failed cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, has appeared in court in New York and pleaded not guilty to fraud charges. He's accused of stealing billions of dollars from FTX to prop up another of his businesses. The BBC's Michelle Fleury is in New York. Sam Bankman-Fried arrived at Manhattan Federal Court for the second time since he was extradited from the Bahamas. If found guilty, he faces up to 115 years in prison. In multiple interviews before his arrest, including with the BBC, Mr Bankman-Fried denied looting customers' money, but admitted he wasn't as competent as he thought. Meanwhile, two senior FTX executives, Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang, have pleaded guilty to fraud charges, and both are cooperating with federal prosecutors. Danish financial institutions say last year was the first ever with no recorded bank robberies. Hold-ups have been falling steadily for the past 20 years. The BBC's Danny Eberhardt has the details. In the year 2000, there were over 200 bank robberies in Denmark, nearly one per business day. That's been dropping steadily, falling below 10 annually in recent years. And now zero. A finance workers' union hailed this as nothing short of amazing. The reasons are many, better alarms and camera surveillance, fewer bank branches, but also moves towards a cashless society, partly linked to the pandemic. Denmark's central bank says cash was used for just 12% of payments in 2021. So bank branches have less to loot. 
The Brazilian football icon Pelé has been laid to rest in Santos, the city where he spent most of his life. In a private ceremony attended by family members, Pelé's coffin was placed in his tomb at the ecumenical necropolis overlooking the city. The BBC's Katie Watson is in Santos. Yesterday, during the wake, it was a moment of reflection. Today has been um, a day of carnivalesque proportions. People have been on the streets dancing samba, chanting for Pelé, uh, waving flags with their number 10 shirt that he made so famous. I mean, there's, a, uh, there's been a, a real sense of celebration and of remembering the, the most famous name here in Brazil. You know, you speak to people here about Pelé and everyone feels united about their, their love for him.